0: Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Wildwood. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. This is a special Sunday morning, and we do plan our services. I don't want to give the impression that, that this just happens. Andrew and I do plan our services. However... The order in which we get to membership presentation and baptism, uh, that was charted out back in June or April of, this, of last year. And so we, we, we lay out the sequence of events. There's a 13-week sequence of membership, we six classes plus interviews plus some administration and then finally the, the, the presentation of members and baptism. So so that was laid out back in April, and that's, you know, we've charted that out. And then I don't know if you've noticed, but we've sort of adopted a routine of, of observing the Lord's Supper every other week. And when I go through Romans and I chart it out, I chart it out maybe five, six, eight weeks in advance. And here this morning, we see this, this coming together of both, both observe, both, uh, Uh, ordinances of the church both membership and communion as well as a treatment in the book of Romans that really relates to these ordinances and these signs and symbols and I just look at the Lord and I say thank you for making it fall this way it feels divine it feels like the Lord has brought this together Uh, I'm grateful for that and I want you to know that you know how we process this we don't we don't go into the process thinking all right we want to uh, uh, when i'm preaching on 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 Romans chapter 4 9 through 12 we're also going to do a communion and baptism uh, that's not how this happened this just sort of happened this way and we give the lord glory for that and no doubt you are aware of the revival that's happening in Kentucky And listen, frankly, time will tell Whether the Holy Spirit is sparking that revival or not Time will tell I'm not going to resist this Because in the words of Gamaliel Who wisely advised the first century uh, council uh, Regarding the church If this is not of God It's just going to fade away it's going to prove to be of man, it's going to prove to be emotionalism, sentimentalism, and that's the last thing we want to do, is equate emotionalism and sentimentalism with a movement of God. However, Gamaliel said, if it's of God, and you resist it, then you are resisting God. So time will tell, but we should all be praying for revival. And when the Lord sends what appears to be revival, we ought to be asking Him to magnify that, to affirm, to confirm that. We know that when revival comes, what the Lord has always done when, when He has moved is He convicts people of sin. So, so that doesn't just stir the emotion. He convicts people of sin. So that's going to be the gauge. Is there a call and a response to greater holiness in the church or not? If there is, then we know that the Lord is reviving. And I pray for revival. I pray for revival in Asbury. I pray for revival in, in Illinois, in the United States, We have missionaries to Japan. I just saw them. I pray for revival in Japan. Uh, I pray for revival in Wildwood. And I pray for revival in my heart. Right? I pray that the Lord moves. I pray that he changes hearts, changes minds. We are a lost and broken world. And it seems as though uh, Jesus, I'm sure there are lots of generations that thought Jesus returned, like this is it, this is it. And... uh, But I feel that way. Uh, I feel that Jesus is coming back, and uh, so you better be ready. Amen? better be ready. People, you know, I I told you that I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out in the end. Uh, And so people wonder, well, you know, what do you think it's going to look like for Jesus to come back and and a a rapture and a tribulation and a thousand-year reign? and there's amillennialism, and there's uh, pre-tribulation, pre-millennialist, and all kinds of things, and I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out. I believe that the command of Jesus to be ready persists. No matter what you believe about the end times, no matter what you believe about how, how the Lord is going to bring all this to a culmination, Jesus warned, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. And when I do, you better be ready. You better have your lamps lit because your servants, you're supposed to be waiting for my return and blessed are those who long for the return of Christ, right? If you're busy living your best life now and you're thinking, ah, wait just a little bit longer, you've missed the boat. Okay. Jesus return is the best thing that's ever going to happen for those who believe the gospel. All right? Look, that's all free chicken. None of that's in my notes. (laughs) All right, let's read here Romans chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Paul says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had, before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you humbly and expectantly and eagerly and gratefully. What a Sunday morning. What a beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, that even when it seems like there's so much darkness in the world, the sun rises and there's beauty in your creation. And you've not forsaken us. And you never will forsake us. And Lord, we we long for the coming of Jesus Christ. We long for our being taken to be with him forever in heaven. We ask God that you help us to be found faithful. Help us to be doing the work that you want us to do. And I pray that you would speak through your servant this morning and help us, Lord, to respond in a way that glorifies you and honors you and changes our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse nine, beginning of it goes, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? What blessing? Well, in verse six through eight, Paul quotes David who says blesses the man who the Lord will not count his sin. Right? Blesses the man whose sins are not going to be held against him. So last week we covered that when when Paul associates Psalm 32 with Romans 4 that we're justified by faith, we're counted righteous by faith, when he associates this psalm that says that your sins are not counted against you, what he is telling us is that when we are justified When we are legally declared righteous by God, he counts us righteous, it credits righteousness to our account, and simultaneously, he declares, he decides that he'll never count our sin against us again. Now, a Jew reading this would hear about Abraham and would hear about David, and they would would go, Well, yeah, those are Jewish all-stars. Those are pillars of the Jewish faith. So Paul, yeah, we don't deny Abraham, and we don't deny David. But you're talking about Gentiles, and we're talking about Jews. And Paul asked the question, is the blessing only for those who are circumcised? And, and, and when we say circumcised, we're not talking about medically or just medically, we're talking about ritually, religiously and medically, but religiously circumcised. Circumcised as a ritual act is blessing only for the circumcised? Or are the Gentile or are, are Gentiles included in this blessing? That's his question. That's, that's where he's going. You see, ancient Jewish literature taught that God swore to Abraham that no man who was circumcised would be sent to hell. So it seems reasonable that a Jew, Paul's writing to a, a Jewish Gentile church, there, there, there's multiple, uh, you know, there, there, both Jews and Gentiles have come in, there's a problem here with their doctrine, so he's, he's, he's focusing on the Jews, and, and he's asking the question, do you think that the blessing of God is only for those who have gone through the ritual of circumcision. And because their heart, their thought, their, their tradition, and Paul was a devout Jew, he was a Pharisee, he was trained under Gamaliel. They taught that if you're circumcised, you're in. They even taught that if that, that Abraham sat at the gates of hell and no circumcised man was allowed to pass, that Abraham would turn them back to heaven. This was not just fancy ideas. It was a deeply held conviction of the Jewish people. So much so that in the early church, they had to call a special council called the Council of Jerusalem. It's captured in Acts 15. And the main consideration was, do Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved? And their conclusion, no. Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit, just like the Jews who believed, so we're not going to require that anyone goes through that step. Now, Paul was not opposed to circumcision. It's interesting, I, I read this afresh recently, that Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised a grown man who is a Christian. He asked Timothy to be circumcised to remove the stumbling stone of offense as they went to the Jews. They knew that he was a Greek and Paul said, I want you to lay your freedom aside for the gospel. Now think about that men, right? I want you to have your quiet time on a daily basis for the gospel. I want you to set aside your freedom to snooze an extra 20 or 30 minutes in the morning. Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised as a young man. So they concluded, no, it's not necessary. Paul Again, Paul was not opposed to it, but the question is, is it necessary to be saved? And they conclude, no. The Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, concludes, no. You do not have to be circumcised to be saved. After all, it wasn't Abraham's circumcision that saved him. It wasn't because Abraham was circumcised that he was declared righteous. Verse 9 continues. Paul says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So if Abraham, the forefather of the Jews, was declared right by God by faith in Genesis 15 and not circumcised until Genesis 17, doesn't it make sense that it's not circumcision that is necessary for a person to be made right with God, but rather it is faith. And that's Paul's point in verse 10. He says, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? That's the existential question. What you should be asking yourself, regardless of who you are or how long you've been in the church or what your status is or what you believe, you ought to be asking yourself the question, how do I get to God? Creation makes it plain. There is a God. And he's sovereign and he's king and judgment is coming. And so every one of us ought to be asking the question, how is it that I will stand before that king and prevail in judgment, not be condemned in judgment? Is it by religious ritual? Or is it by faith? And Paul answers his own question. Thank you, ladies. Paul answers his own question. He says, it was not after, not after he was circumcised Not after he went through the religious ritual, but before he was circumcised. Now, I want you to recall from last week, we we walked through Abraham's, we surveyed his faith journey. In Genesis 15, Abraham is counted righteous. That's what Paul's talking about, Genesis 15. In Genesis 12, that's where we begin to see God and Abram, he makes the promise, Abram is 75 years old. In Genesis 16, we know that he's 86. So somewhere between 75 and 86 years of age, Abraham is counted righteous by God. In Genesis 17, he's 99. And that's where circumcision comes into play. So somewhere between the age of 75 and 86, he's counted righteous by God. He is a righteous, uncircumcised Gentile. Some 13 to 25, the Jews' chrono- chronology dates it 29 years. For some 13 to 29 years, Abraham is, an, is a righteous, circumcised Gentile. And then, at the age of 99, he is a circumcised Jew. Now, it's important for us to note that Abraham's son, Ishmael was also circumcised when Abraham was 99. Ishmael was a teenager when he was circumcised. And yet Ishmael was not part of the covenant with God. Two observations that we need to make here from the story of Abraham. Number one, righteousness came by faith a decade and a half before any ritual. He was declared right with God 14, 13, 30 years before he did any ritual. And number two, it is possible to have done the ritual and not be included in the covenant. Righteousness comes by faith, not ritual. And it's possible to do the thing and it not change the reality. You tracking with me? I know you are. You guys are sharp. Now Paul supplies two reasons that Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised. Two reasons. The first is so that the religious act won't be confused with what it signifies. In other words, that the ritual would not be confused with the reality. See, we get this, we get this confused sometimes. We imagine that when I do the thing, it, it changes my reality. And Paul wants to make it clear. And, and God wants to make it Paul is just drawing this out from Abraham's story. And Paul is saying that there's two reasons that Abraham was justified before circumcision. The first is so that the ritual would not be confused with the reality. Verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Notice that Paul uses both the term signed and sealed. One commentator says... Not really necessary to pay attention to that. It's just, he just uses those two words uh, for effect. The point being that it was faith, not works, that saved Abraham. But I appreciate John MacArthur and Daniel Doriani's takes on this. They both identify a distinction between sign and seal. A sign, MacArthur says, points to something, whereas a seal guarantees it. A sign points to something, whereas a seal guarantees it. Doriani notes that circumcision did not make Abraham righteous. The sign of circumcision did not make Abraham righteous, but rather it sealed the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So simply put, circumcision, the sign was a seal of authenticating proof where are my shoppers at People, now you don't have to raise your hand because you might be embarrassed that you love brands right but when you when you love brands and you go shopping for a brand, you want to make sure that there is a seal of a th- of authenticity if you're going to spend that kind of money on on that kind of thing and none of, man, praise the Lord, we are so righteous because all of you are like, none of us would ever do that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for Wildwood Church. None of these people care about any brands. Praise the Lord for that. But for those that hypothetically might care about brands, when you purchase that thing, you want to make sure that it's an authentic thing. And, and the seal is what proves it's authentic. Okay. When a king would write an edict, he would put wax at the end and he would put his ring, his signet ring. It was his signature. And that was a seal of authenticity. This carries weight. This is real. And this is the proof. This is the seal. So the seal makes it real. The seal proves it's real. All right. So the circumcision, the sign, was the seal of authenticity. Authenticating proof that Abraham was counted righteous by faith. And if by faith rather than circumcision, then this righteousness by faith is available to anyone who believes. You see where Paul's going with this? If it was before circumcision, then here's here's the beautiful news, Gentiles. You don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to do any ritual whatsoever Simply believe the gospel and you will be saved. Now, one might ask, well, if circumcision was the seal of righteousness for Abraham, why don't we require circumcision now? And I'll tell you, it's because God's heart was never simply marking the flesh. That was a sign. It was pointing forward. But listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. What was God interested in? Marked flesh? No, a marked heart, a changed heart. Jeremiah 4.4 says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Now, if we pause there, we'd say, okay, there it is, right? That's Jewish circumcision. No, he goes on, remove the foreskin of your hearts, that's a vivid image. Circumcise your hearts. If circumcision was a sign to seal right standing before God for Abraham, what is our seal of righteousness? Now, some might say baptism. I think maybe I heard it. Some might say baptism. That's fair enough. Baptism is what we do to express our personal profession of faith. That is true. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. And I love, I I love that folks, we are deep. Our bench is deep here. When pastor Matt took, took this over, this teaching on baptism, he and I didn't coordinate. I didn't ask him what he was going to say. Why? Because I trust him. Because I know that he's a godly man who knows scripture. And he says the same thing that I'm saying right now. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. It's a sign. It's something that points to a reality that already exists. Namely, that we've been declared righteous by God. But baptism, to Pastor Matt's point, does not affect the reality whatsoever. Baptism, what happened this morning... These men, and and later the men and women, their eternal destiny is not changed by entering, going under, or coming out of the water. It doesn't affect the reality. It is a sign that points to a reality. Baptism is a sign of our salvation, but the Bible tells us that the seal of our righteousness, ready, is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Listen to this, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were, what? Sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is like God's signet ring. Authentic Christian. If you have the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit has made you alive and dwells within you, and you'll see the fruit of the Spirit coming out in your life, If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, brother and sister, you have God's seal of authenticity. And if you don't, repent. Okay? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.22, the Holy Spirit is, is proof not only that we're authentic Christians, but he's a reminder that we have something waiting for us. Watch this. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So not only is it it proof to God that, I mean, God knows. God doesn't need proof. He knows our hearts. It's not only a seal. It's not only proof. It's a guarantee, right? Folks, you should find so much comfort in this. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, then you are guaranteed eternity because you've been born again by the Spirit. And just like a man cannot be uncircumcised, now you're thinking medically, I'm talking about ritualistically, religiously, can't happen. Nor can a man or a woman who has been sealed by the Holy Spirit ever be unsealed. Okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now, when does this happen? When does this happen? When are we sealed by the Holy Spirit? When is our redemption guaranteed? Certainly not at baptism. We celebrate baptism, but that is not when these men were guaranteed eternity, but rather when they heard and believed the gospel. Listen to this. Here we go. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, where is baptism in that? It's not even in that verse. When you heard the word of truth, when you believed the gospel, you were sealed, you were declared righteous, you were made right with God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's final. And then you're baptized by faith. Abraham was declared righteous before circumcision so that the ritual would not be confused with the reality. I just praise the Lord. Again, I just want to go back and praise the Lord for what what he's done here. Pastor Matt and I did not coordinate, but he made that point so crystal clear. What is the order? You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you're saved, you're baptized. It's a New Testament order the ritual won't be confused with the reality. Now let's continue the second purpose in verse 11 and 12. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith, of the faith that our father Abraham had, Before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Gentiles. Praise the Lord. Abraham is our father. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right, that's it. I don't know it be on there. Okay. Andrew, I am so jealous, man. I am so jealous of you. You get to do that every week. All right. So Gentiles rejoice because Father Abraham is our father too. Gentiles who have not been physically ritually circumcised, but have circumcised hearts, okay, we belong to Abraham. Paul says in Romans chapter two, verse 29, a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Remember that this justification by faith alone was a Gentile principle for 13 to 30 years before it was Jewish. 13 to 30 years, Abraham was uncircumcised, and counted righteous by faith alone. Amen. Amen. Now, that is not to say that Jews are excluded. Those that are physically, ritually circumcised. They're not exempt. The fact that Abraham was circumcised means that he's also the father of the circumcised. So praise the Lord. Jews, by descent, by ancestry, ritually uh, circumcised, rejoice. Father Abraham is your father too. But Paul is quite clear. Abraham is not their father because they're circumcised. Abraham is the father of the circumcised, he says, who are not merely circumcised, who have not just gone through the motions, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he is their father because they have faith. He is our father because we have faith. Jew and Gentile alike can call Abraham our father by faith. And we can be included in the covenant that god made with abraham to be with him to bless him and that his offspring would be a blessing to the nations but i want you to notice how paul says this not just faith because you might you might say well i yeah i i believe it's true i don't deny it's true i don't deny that there's a god I don't deny that Jesus lived. I don't deny that he died on the cross. The question is not, do you not deny that, but do you trust in that? It's a big difference. Someone bring me a chair real quick. Kelly, could you? Some free chicken here, all right? Thank you, Stephen. A gentleman. Kelly, you're gonna have to get up real quick. There we go. (laughs) Stephen, thank you, bud. All right, so this chair is made by Bertolini, Incorporated. It's all new materials consisting of 100% polyurethane foam pad, registry number, if it meets the California 117 flammability code. The patent is pending on this. There's a number to call BertoliniDirect.com. Now we're not endorsing them, but that is where we bought our chairs. This chair is maroon in color, it has four legs, it's soft, it's firm, the legs are black, there's gold dots on it. This particular chair has a stain probably from where I spilled my communion cup. (laughs) I believe this chair is sturdy, solid, and reliable. This chair is meant to hold people up as they sit on their rear end. It's a sturdy chair. And I know everything about this chair. Now tell me something. Does any of that demonstrate that I believe that this chair will do what it's supposed to do? What does? That's right. I know this chair is going to work. Praise the Lord that that worked. That would be terrible if it, right? Full weight. Oh Lord. All my hope is, it. you know, I'm trusting in this chair. I'm, I'm not, I'm not bracing, right? I'm not, watch this. I'm not sitting on the edge, but part of my weight is on my own feet. Oh, I trust this. Oh, this chair is, is so uh, sturdy and, and, and it's going to hold me up. But but just in case I'm going to put weight on my feet, too. Right. Is that faith? No. This is faith. Legs up. Here's faith. Watch this. Now I'm 45. OK, <laughs> now that's faith right there. Right. Put my life. OK. That's all free chicken. But watch, watch, knowing about Jesus is not the same as trusting in Jesus for your righteousness. You can be the greatest Bible scholar and Jesus doesn't know you and you don't know him and you're not right with him. And you can go through all the rituals and not know him, and not be made righteous. But brother and sister, here's the beautiful thing. You can be made righteous simply by trusting in Jesus today. Now today we witness the beauty of baptism. That's one of two church ordinances, one of the two church ordinances we baptize. We baptize because we're commanded by Jesus to baptize. Both his words and his example, we baptize people who have already declared, who have already been declared righteous by faith in Jesus. That's why we ask them, Stephen, we ask you, and we don't have any doubt what your answer is going to be. We're not hoping that, you're, that your faith is in Jesus. No, you've already expressed faith in Jesus. So we ask with certainty because you've already Come to faith in Jesus and been made righteous. Baptism is a sign of something that has happened in you already. You've already been declared righteous. And by baptism, you want to declare to the world, you love Jesus. And you're for Jesus and he's for you. And you're going to walk in the footsteps of faith of Father Abraham. Today you saw two men who were already baptized at some point in their life as, as, uh, as professing Christians. I mean, it was not, these were teenagers or young men when they got baptized first. They've since come to realize that what they did before was only ritual They were just going through the motions. That's part of their testimony. And I'm so grateful. Imagine the courage that it takes to stand before a congregation. We've already said, yes, I've been baptized. I'm a believer. And then to come to realize, wait a second, I don't see any evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And now I believe the gospel and I'm going to declare that to the world. That's unashamed courage. Praise the Lord. Signs don't save us, signs don't save us. What saves us is walking in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. What saves us is being fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. What saves us is believing the gospel. And when you're saved, when you're declared righteous by faith, every sign is that much sweeter. When you see someone being baptized, it reminds you of your own baptism. When when they go under the water and we say dead in sin or, or buried with Christ, you remember that you were buried with Christ. That before Jesus, you were dead in sin. You've been buried with Christ and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. And when they come up out of the water, you're reminded I came up out of the water. And I am a new person, and Jesus is making me new. What a sweet Sunday that we get to observe not only baptism, but also the Lord's Supper. And again, I, I shared with you that we didn't, we didn't construct that. We didn't uh, try to manipulate that. It just happened. What a sweet Sunday that we would observe both ordinances of the church this morning. Both remind you, both are signs to remind you that you are not your own. Listen to me, Christian. You are not your own. You don't own your own life. You don't own your kids. You don't own your spouse. You don't own your home. You don't own the church. You have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he has set you on mission to be about his kingdom business. And everything that you do, you ought to find fulfillment in the glory of God. And it all ought to be for the glory of God. You are not your own. And baptism and communion both point to that and remind us of that. When we observe communion, we are taking a sign a sign that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. In a different package, it's just grape juice and crackers. But when it's received by Christians who have been born again, in the context of a corporate relationship, a corporate fellowship, and we look around and we see this is our church, this is where we belong, this is where Jesus has placed us to serve and submit and support, and show up, there's communion there. Not only communion with God, but communion with each other. It's a sign of the blood of Christ poured out to make you clean, and it's a sign of his physical body broken to make you whole and to graft you into a figurative body called the church. Signs have their place. Jesus left us with those two ordinances and said, keep on doing these things. Keep on showing these signs, but signs don't save. And we need to make sure that we don't allow the ritual to be or to replace the reality. So I want to give you an opportunity to check your heart as we close. Have these rituals become old hat for you? Has your heart grown cold to them? Do you have trouble rejoicing over what you've witnessed today? Does seeing a dozen people be baptized, and of course you only saw two, second service is going to be 10 more. You saw their beautiful pictures. I hope you took note. Beth, bring the pictures back up of the members that are joining our church please. I hope you took note of what the Lord is bringing together. Young and old, married and single, black, white, Hispanic. We're not, we're not shooting for, for some artificial diversity. We're preaching the gospel and Jesus is building his church from every kingdom, every tribe and tongue and every nation. And and, and my question is, do you have any trouble rejoicing in this? Any trouble rejoicing? And and does does it bring tears of joy to your eye? Does it cause your soul to leap when you take communion? If not, what I ask you to do is submit that to the Lord. And say, Lord, help me remember what this ritual is pointing me to. Help me remember the gospel that I believe because I want to rejoice. I want these signs of my faith to matter to me. And perhaps you've come this morning, you realize that you, like those two men that were baptized this morning, had gotten ritual and reality out of order. And you had gone through a ritual and it was sincere there was a there was emotion to it you weren't coerced into it maybe you were but but you've come to realize that your reality has not changed and you're relying on the ritual to save you rather than faith my encouragement to you is believe the gospel repent and be saved father we thank you for jesus the author and perfecter of our faith We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have built this service today. Thank you for the way that you're building your church, the way that you're building your kingdom. I pray, Jesus, that you would be glorified through the ministry of Wildwood Church. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would revive our hearts, revive our city, revive our land. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.